nuclear. Um, what's up, buddy? How are you, sir? It's wheeling and dealing. Wheeling and dealing. Making the big money. I'm trying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, we got a lot going on in the in the regulatory front, but let's get to that in a minute. Um, uh, DeFi Llama Aggregator added uh, Canto, which is Ooh. cool. And so I did a little swap, which went well. Um, but what was interesting, where the fuck is that link? Uh, what was interesting was that um, it went to... It went, the trade went through something called Yield Yak, which I had never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let me get this screen open. Um, but it worked beautifully. Um, and uh, there was only one choice amongst the aggregated choices, but uh, it, uh, mm-hmm. it was good. It was very good. I'm glad to see it. I'll use that. I'm happy for DeFi Lama to make a little money if they do. Mm-hmm. Um, off of it, and I'm still getting the same amount. All I did was an unwrap of about a hundred can uh, W Canto just to see how see how it go. But it went uh, beautifully. Um, I have no idea what Yield Jack is though, so I want to find out. Uh, I've never heard of it. it. It must be a new Canto project I don't know about. So uh, let's see if we can find it out. Um, so yesterday we were not here, but um, there was some news. Um, there was some news on the uh, on the um, regulatory front in a couple of places. First, uh, Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, <clears throat> talking about uh, that the SEC is trying to get rid of staking for in the U.S. for retail customers. Well, you know, of course, when. Uh, when you're when you're Gary Gensler and your retirement plan is to be the middleman uh, for institutional and crypto, you uh, you're gonna you're gonna try to get rid of it. Um, it's uh, I mean it's just fucking ludicrous, but you know here we go. Um, but the the more disturbing thing, uh, well, first of all, so yet another thing that will push shit offshore, uh, push users to you know use VPNs and and skirt the law and push talent out of the country, uh, which is what will happen. Um, but the other thing was... Um, well, let me say one thing. Using a VPN in the U.S. isn't you skirting the law. It's maybe another jurisdiction, but it's perfectly okay to use VPNs in the U.S. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. But if yeah. you're supposed to be banned from using staking, then if we used a VPN to go to a foreign country to stake... Um, uh, provider in a foreign country to stake, then we would be, well, skirting the law. I think I the think, stake, the stake operation they, is the one that would be breaking. The there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're supposed to figure it out. <laughs> Keep us out. So you know? I, I, I have long maintained that the um, most significant weakness for crypto is uh, bank onboarding. And mm-hmm. um, it turns out that um, currently the federal government is attempting to choke out crypto, according to Nick Carter, uh, a highly respected analyst in the space and investor. Um, They're trying to choke out crypto by scaring the banks. Um, So they have put out from multiple regulatory bodies, um, they have put out uh, 
not bans whatsoever ever uh, with uh, regards to crypto, but they have made the clear to the banks that um, I'm trying to find the wording that they use, but uh, the wording that they use is basically this is dangerous. And so you may pay higher rates on insurance. You may um, be more susceptible to deeper dives into your books by regulators if you support and take crypto in. He also points out, um, you know, all the pressure that's coming on to Silvergate um, and that even despite a uh, run on Silvergate uh, for deposits, they still maintained and are still functioning and, and working well. But... Um, scolded them you know uh my favorite senator warren scolded them for uh providing service to fdx and alameda um one of the most active banks signature um serving crypto clients it's announced its deposit intent to have deposits ascribed to crypto clients in other words they'll give customers their money back and then shut down their accounts they'll draw their crypto deposits down from 23 billion a peak to 10 billion dollars um the fdic and OCC released a joint statement on the risks to banks engaging with crypto, not explicitly banning banks' ability to hold crypto or deal with crypto, but strongly discouraging, here it is, them from doing so on a safety and soundness basis. And evidently, all of the regulators are using those words, safety and soundness, in their decrees. Um, the Metropolitan Commercial Bank, one of the few banks that serves crypto clients, has announced a, to announced a total shutdown of crypto asset-related vertical. Silvergate stock fell to a low of 11.55 on the bank run and insolvency fears, having traded as high as $160 in March 2022. Binance announces that due to a policy at Signature Bank, they will only process user fiat transactions worth more than $100,000 for U.S. customers. Um, the Federal Reserve denies crypto bank custodians two-year application to become a member of the Federal Reserve System, citing safety and soundness risks. Um, Kansas City Fed branch denies custodians application for a master account, which would give it the ability to use wholesale payment services and to hold reserves with the Fed directly. The Fed issued a policy statement discouraging banks from holding crypto assets or issuing stablecoins and broadens their authority to cover non-FDI-insured uh, state-chartered banks. A reaction to Wyoming special purpose depository institutions like Custodia, which can hold crypto alongside fiat for its banking customers. National Economic Council releases a policy statement not explicitly banning banks from serving crypto clients, but strongly discouraging banks from transacting with crypto assets directly or maintaining exposure to crypto depositors. The DOJ's fraud unit announced an investigation to Silvergate. Binance suspends USD bank transfers. A Fed statement is entered into the Federal Register, turning the policy statement into a final rule with no congressional review or public notice and comment period. And Protigo and Paxos application to follow Anchorage and obtain full approval to become national trust banks are still outstanding past the 18-month deadline and appear likely to be eminently denied by the OCC. Yeah, you know, one of the things about Silvergate, you know, I didn't realize that they had gotten a like $4.7 billion bailout. You know, in that run. I did not so, either. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw that yesterday. And and the stuff with custodia, it's what we talk about also. It's about, you know, having a of the Fed window or being, you know, we talk about like the Fed balance sheet a lot and how they're letting the bonds and stuff roll off. Um, you know, the ones they use for quantitative easing. You know, those that balance those balance sheet assets are shared amongst all the banks that have Fed window accounts or Fed accounts. So they want to keep them out of that. And it's and I think it's just it's 
all about the volatility of the assets, you know, let alone, you know, the fact that all the institutional guys are, are still in, um, you know, they, they seem to all be really focusing on the retail side. And, you know, I mean, look, we always, we know both sides of that argument. People should be able to do what they want with their money. Number one, um, number two, you know, there's a lot of hucksterism and, you know, um, hustles going on in the retail facing side. So, you know, what is the, is the majority of that? I don't think so. I think the majority is, is pretty sound stuff and it's pretty, um, you know, should be up to the individual to decide. But they seem to be really focusing on that right now. And um, as you said, on the retail side and then with the crypto businesses, you know, kind of shutting them down from being able to get, you know, these are ones that get funded by say VCs and go set up a bank account and maybe they don't even have any crypto, but they're still getting like um, restrictions because they're in a crypto business. Um, You know, and I don't know if it's just, this has been a tsunami that's built up over the last couple of years, or if this is just, um, you know, something just pulled the trigger over there, but you know, there's definitely something afoot. Nick says that, um, so there was an original policy called choke point, uh, yep. during the Obama administration that attempted to stop uh, gun manufacturers. It essentially was attempting to debank gun manufacturers and some other industries uh, that porn, they didn't like. Porn. Porn, and, yeah, porn. and gambling. And gambling. gambling. Uh, yep. Online gambling. And so what they did then was they explicitly um, uh, forbade I- I- interaction or with with. I can't remember how I phrased it, but the, the bottom line was the way they did it then was much different um, than what they're doing now. What they're doing now is basically saying, well, if we just put enough pressure on the banks, then they're not going to be able to operate whatsoever in crypto because they're going to lose money. My gut tells me that there will be a couple of them that say, fuck it, if I have to pay more, but I can have you know, hundred billion dollars in deposits. Yeah. yeah. If I can have all that business, I'll be the one of maybe three that remain in the U S that are willing to do business in crypto until there's a full ban. And I think they're what, what he intimates is they're making it so they don't have to do anything from Congress, right? That when, when they do these federally administered regulatory body uh, policies like this without explicitly banning. So it's difficult to have a court challenge to it. Right. You can't there, nobody right. can actually sue because there is no policy saying you're banned from doing this um, and without Congress having to take action. So congressional people aren't putting them, their asses on the line, um, voting against or for whichever way their constituents would be opposed to it. This is a way to choke it out as much as possible without having to take an action. Uh, without the yeah. courage of setting regulatory policy. And I tend to agree. And, and like I said, I've always said that the, the greatest weakness for crypto is, um, is, you know, this, this onboarding of banks. Now, here's the crazy fucking thing. And we talked about this before. And Sean has talked about this before with us. Look, we have all of these currencies, right? And we have all these users and we have some level of merchant adoption in some places. But the crazy thing is, is we have stable coins, we have inflation coins, yet nobody in this industry has made a concerted effort to actually go out into the world of merchants and focus on a niche or focus on a vertical and really make payments a part of being a merchant, right? Being able to accept it easily at retail, being able to accept it easily online. It's still you know, a, a, a difficult process and a difficult process for people to grasp. But if people realized that they didn't have to pay 3% of Visa anymore 
and people realized that they could have instant money in their hands and they could actually then have other merchants they could spend it with. Part of the circumvention of this problem is really that we have done a shitty job in crypto of getting it to be used for actually spending money. <laughs> and that, to yeah. me, is our greatest failure as a community, is that we haven't done enough with our buying power to push people with whom we do business to accept it. Right. And that doesn't mean, you know, big national international corporations are probably not going to adopt it wholesale because they risk regulatory scrutiny as well. But, you know, getting your local favorite store to accept it might be something that's a little bit easier, but we need a path to that. So to me, yeah. you know, look, it, that this problem isn't going to be solved overnight. It's a massive problem. Um, but it certainly seems like, uh, you know, the Biden administration well, is making a concerted effort to try to choke it out. Well, it was interesting, though, is, you know, I was just had, was talking to some people this morning. I'm in D.C. right now and I'm and, you know, the international stuff, you know, remittances to international, you know, to third world all or, you know, other countries outside the U.S. They're all for that, you know, yeah. because it lowers the transmission fees. You know, it's kind of like the example of the U.N. using Stellar to pay aid workers in Ukraine. It goes straight into the individual's wallet. It doesn't go to some organization in Ukraine or any other country where, you know, there's usually a, you know, a slice off the top, you know, Western right. Union, let's say. They're all right. for that stuff. I think they're just really trying to, you know, like you said, because there's not the user adoption that they it's easier to choke this off. And I think they just have gotten overwhelmed with, you know, all the FTX stuff, all the Terra stuff, all the, um, you know, all the other. There was another, oh, the Celsius stuff. You know, I think that that's kind of gotten them to where they're like, this just doesn't make sense. And then the other thing is that, you know, when the, you know, when you're soon going to be able to get 6% interest on your cash deposits at a bank, you know, all of a sudden, you know, most of crypto has grown up with 0% interest on bank deposits or very, very low. Right. And can you, can you generate yield in a safe manner that's greater than 6%? Um, I don't know. Um and I think that, you know, they're kind of looking at that, you know, the regulators as well, that, you know, maybe the market makes the turn for everybody in, in that, you know, when you can get 6% in a fully insured, you know, uh, investment at a bank, you know, it's like all the foreign people send money to the U.S. specifically because of that reason. You know, even though the cap, it says 250000 even when it was 100, they were paying out, you know, billion dollar deposits. I mean, they do not stop at 250. They have never stopped. Right. Right. Banks honor, they've honored the full amount. Right. So you know that you're going to get your money. So I think the issue here now is when volatility ceases and, you know, in some of the major ones, when it becomes more stabilized through more usage, like you said, then are you going to be able to get yields that exceed 6%? Is it right. just going to go to like, you know, particularly stable coin yields? I mean, you know, we're, I was talking a lot about USDC and it seems that, um, you know, it was a, from what I heard, it was a confluence of sort of, you know, SPACs and crypto that just set Gensler off basically so that their stuff would never get approved. But, you know, their whole model, the building this ecosystem and everything of DeFi and yield farming, you know, with USDC, it's, I, I don't know if it can, can beat 6%. Well, so, you know, yeah. I mean, maybe the fun stuff that we do can beat it, but, you know, sure we're not putting the you know college savings into it or the, no, you know, no. the mortgage or anything or the rent or whatever. Um, and some people are. And I think that that's where, 
you know, they're only seeing those cases. They're not seeing the, you know, successes, so to speak. Right. And I, I obviously, obviously they aren't. And what's interesting is, you know, I just posted up the interview I did with uh, IPOR, which is trying to basically bring uh, LIBOR to, to DeFi. You know, those are the kinds of things where interest rate swaps and, and mortgages and everything else can come uh, into crypto. Um, and I think there are going to be opportunities. I, who was it the other day I saw was trying to do on, ch weren't we talking about the other day on chain for the, um, the bond market? Oh God, what the hell was that? I know we talked about it a lot. I just can't remember who the, who the player was. I can't either. Anyway, so, you know, we'll start to see some of those come in here. And then those become, from what my perspective is, is those become use cases for the power of what the blockchain can bring to the financial program. Yeah. But you know me, I also advocate that um, we should flip this conversation and make it about um, the transparency and, and security and safety that, that blockchain and crypto could bring to finance and solve a lot of the problems that exist now currently in the system, also reducing the cost of enforcement dramatically and the bureaucracy administration around that, et cetera. But, um, you know, I'm not in yeah. charge of, I'm not in charge of government lobbying for crypto these days. So. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, and, you know, I did have some conversations where people were talking about, um, you know, that, there's all, you know, there seems to be in, in the policy circles that they're talking about um, that nothing's really truly decentralized that, you know, because I kind of brought up the point about, you know, FTX and all the other stuff that they were centralized plays, you know, marketed as to as crypto plays to traditional finance players. And then we got into a discussion about decentralization and that there's always someone who has, you know, can influence that. And I said, yeah, right now there is. But I said, you need to look at some of these other ones. Um, where it, it's just running on its own. And I threw a couple of names out and I said, you know, when you throw AI on top of that, you know, a fully uncontrolled organic chain or, you know, that's running in the wild, I said, that's when it's going to get really interesting. Well, yeah. they're not even thinking about that. <laughs> it's like, or maybe they are now, but you know, they weren't this morning. So, um, you know, it's like, you know, that is the kind of stuff where I think it gets real interesting. And, and the other thing that I got from them was that, you know, they fully recognize that a lot of this is going to get absorbed up in the banks. That's going to then, you know, cause lower fees to consumers and things like that. I mean, you know, it's that example we always say about if you want to wire money to say, you know, Kenya or something, I'm, I'm not picking on Kenya, but just pick a country, you know, where it takes like a week to get there and it goes through all these gates and, you know, you're taking off 25% of the money, yeah. you know, and then Ripple or Stellar or somebody, you know, just to pick the obvious ones, you know, you can move that money for 10 cents. And everybody's like, well, why would the banks do that? And it's like, well, because the banks, instead of charging 600, are going to charge 300. And, you know, so the consumer saves, but at the same time, the bank's gross margin on that transaction went from like, you know, 20% to, you know, 95%, let's say. Right. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's, it's a win-win for both sides. So they're recognizing all of that. I think that they're just, you know, really worried about contagion leaking from this into the, you know, fiat system. And, and of course, you know, I don't know if that really can happen, um, you know, at levels that would really damage the system. I mean, look, FTX, I mean, what did it really do? I mean, yeah, exactly. It didn't take any, you know, it, it took out Gemini and Genesis for a while and DCG, but those will all recover. Yep. I mean, I saw Gemini settled up with Genesis in bankruptcy yeah. court. So, 
You know, I mean, after all the hullabaloo and notes and angry letters out in the public and this and that, you know, everybody was in bankruptcy court at that point. Even yeah. the Winklevi were in it, even though they yeah. were bitching about it. So, you know, and I don't know the terms, but I think they were made whole. So, you know, the Gemini earned people. So, you know, it didn't really contaminate the system, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, and then right. remember when, when Sean had his chart up last week, not the triple resistance one, but the, the one, the crypto quant one that showed the institutional money in BTC. Right. Yep. And that's been a, a, basically a flat line for the last couple of years. I mean, they haven't dumped. Yeah. So, you know, again, it didn't contaminate or contagion into the system at that point. So, you know, hopefully it's not as draconian or it's, you know, it's going to maybe get the cream to rise to the top. I don't know. But they're also fully aware that crypto London's an alternative, as is Hong Kong now. Right. Um, with Absolutely. Their, with their attraction program. So, you know, they don't seem too worried about that because they think that the quality stuff will just figure out how to play within this new rule framework, I guess. Um, and then eventually, you know, some it'll be, I guess, when it's less volatile, volatile, it'll be in the deposit side of the banks, you know, not just fiat stuff. So a lot of work to do, obviously, um, and a lot of <clears throat> yeah. downside to come. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things you definitely want to be careful right now if you're, um, you know, because, you know, they are looking at software developers yeah. um, involved. Um, and that was confirmed. So, you know, I think it's, you know, but they recognize that there's limits to what they can do yeah. at that point. So I had a call. Target. I had a call today with a project that I've interviewed in the past um, with a really cool product. I, I don't want to name them right now, um, but um, they developed a system that could be interpreted as um, investment advisory in some way. And mm -hmm. so they have paused their product and are pivoting their company away. They were in the middle of raising a round and killed the round um, because they'd gotten some bad advice from attorneys or originally hadn't gone to securities attorneys. Um, anyway, um, they had then since gotten better advice, um, which was, yeah, kind of what you're doing is very hands-on and uh, uh, could be interpreted as securities violations. And so they're moving out of that. But, you know, as the developers, they deployed smart contracts that theoretically could have been completely automated for the strategies that they were putting forth. But um, they just really felt like there was the the walls uh might be uh closing in on them and so yeah. they decided to bail on what they were doing so it does have an impact and it does scare people and that's what they want to accomplish is they want to scare developers um right. the problem is they're going to scare developers they're going to scare talent out of the country um and um there are going to be countries that say hell yeah get on over here we'd love to have a base of financial developers um, who can create the next generation of financial applications. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Sean said, you're welcome back to the empire. We won't hold your mistake of leaving against you that much. Uh, it makes me want to pull up uh, <laughs> the song the from the music. No, the song from the musical where it's, where it's the king <laughs> singing. London. No, oh, I don't the know. You'll be back. Uh, oh my God, I'm drawing a to total blank. <laughs> Hold on. I got to pull this Makanda? No, from Lion Hamilton. King? From Ham Hamilton. Oh, Hamilton. Got it. Okay. Anyway, it reminds me of the king singing, you'll be back. 
Uh, it's a funny song. It's one of my favorite songs from that musical. Anyway, it reminds me of the song. What is it? London's calling. It's calling my name. I, I think yeah. that's the Clash, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sean would know, but um, yeah. That, I mean, that's that's where it's going. And um, you know, I mean, look, it, there can be two sets, like we talked about before. You know, the geofencing or the deglobalization between you know fully on, you know, regulated and then London serving kind of like as a, as a crypto hub. Um, They're still very accommodating for, I told you the story when, you know, when I was there a couple of years ago for that client that we both did a little work for, Um, you know, when I met at at Hogan Lovell's conference, the British council people, and one of the ladies there, you know, she's like, why, why don't you do it in London? There's only one regulator to talk to. And, you know, you basically go sit down with them and they eyeball you and see if you look trustworthy or not. And you talk to them for a couple hours and then they say yes or no. Um, you know, but I made the rounds. I went through the London mayor's office and ended up a couple of law firms and ended up there. And, you know, they were like, I was like, everybody's already here already. They're all in Cambridge. And they were like, no, British jobs. Great. <laughs> you know, do what you want. Just don't do any offerings. Exactly. <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. So. So, you know, they're much more wide open and I, you know, London's a great place too. So I could see a lot of stuff heading that way. It's only a five hour flight from the East coast. unlike Hong Kong, you know, where it's a all day thing. Is that you? Is that you dressed up last night? I'm I'm playing this for Sean. Oh, Is that King George or somebody? Yeah. It's right after U.S. Independence, and he, in the musical Hamilton, he sings this song, You'll Be Back. <laughs> Picture Sean singing this. Yeah, we got it. Sean's got to start wearing that hat, that crown, or whatever, for the show. Why well, won't it let me stop? It won't let me stop sharing it. <laughs> there we go. We need a powder wig, now, for Sean. But... Now I'm gonna have to go fucking edit the uh, video because YouTube's gonna block it. Oh, fuck. Uh, uh, Shizzy said, "Byn Melon is a hero." Came out and said, "Crypto is here forever." Oh, that's fucking great. I hadn't heard that, dude. Yeah. Oh shit! Really? Yeah, those guys are players. I mean, I remember when they what Chemical Bank merged into them, and I knew like the family that owned Chemical Bank. I mean, well, I don't want to say anything negative, but let's just say they were a little high strung. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you know those families that have been around for generations and generations, they get a little. Um, Look at that! I didn't even see this. Go ahead. Yeah, what were you going to say? No, no, I was saying they get a little uh, erratic. But yeah, no, these guys are always on the edge. Well, there's I mean, the one. That's the one we were talking yeah. about, right? The one that says, fuck yep. it, I'll own it all. Give it all and to those me. Guys, and those guys are, you know, I mean, they're super connected, you know, in a Thanks, Shizzy. Back, back room, wood paneled, cigar kind of way. Um, so that's a good, that's a big move because that's, you know, that's a little money bank, basically. There you go. Well, I tell you what, uh, I've been having banking issues with with uh, one of our companies for quite a while um, with good old Bank of America. Uh, yeah. So 
looks like I will be taking a look at uh, BNY Mellon. Uh, hey, Renora, you know, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say one thing when you were talking about choke point earlier, you know, it made me remember back in like 2010 and I was advising a biotech company that, you know, had, it was a conglomerate. So they had an office in uh, Sardinia where there was a research lab and some grants coming from like the EU and they would pay me from there. And so it wire into my bank and all of a sudden I started seeing these notices on the statement that said, remember, if you're, if you're um, having online gambling winnings coming to your account, you have to declare those for taxes. And I looked at it and I was like, well, it's not online gambling. It's like, you know, consulting fees, <laughs> but that was probably part of that choke yeah, point. Choke point. You know? Yeah. 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 I'm sure so, it was. I'm sure it was. Mm -hmm. Ronoro says the reg bodies all got the same memo. You have winning and unwinding scams. Most projects are well-meaning, but logically flawed. So users will lose regardless. Yeah, there's probably a lot of that. RWA yep. will change this DeFi home loans and on-chain rental revenue, what have you. Okay. Uh, Niblet says the mechanics of crypto as a medium exchange is horrible on many levels. And Ronora says, yeah, it's a slow data, a slow as fuck database. Uh, Sean says the idea that crypto and TradFi can coexist is missing the point. We are in the biz of displacing them. A pushback is a great sign. Yeah, you know, look, you're right. There, uh, a part of that is is that yes, um, their fear is prevalent, and and that is absolutely a good sign. Um, but at the same time, we're not going to throw a switch and suddenly crypto dominates the financial world. So at some point, we have to move. Um, start pushing that pressure forward uh, into spending and into transactional and into merchants if we're going to make any progress in overthrowing that. Niblet says crypto is great for intermarket units of account, but terrible for intramarket media of exchange. Well, it depends on the crypto. Um, depends on its value. It depends on its volatility. It depends on it, the chain it's on and how fast it goes. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of potential there. Got my got my free merch on today, Joe. My phantom merch. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, Romero says the real fun is in the trustlessness, transparency, and financial decentralization. I totally agree. Um, but you know, um, at the same time, there there is a ton of potential on the uh, medium of exchange. Shizzy pointed out it was Hamilton. Eamon said, "Love Hamilton, so dang good. Great musical, by the way. If you've never seen it, it's awesome." Mm -hmm. uh, Euphoric said there was a good article on CoinDesk today about how useless the FCA is. It needs desperate reform before London can become a crypto hub. Oh, um, huh. check it out, man. Niblet yeah. said, Niblet said Pittsburgh. Is it crypto? Oh, is that BNY Mellon? Is that where it's from? Oh, I don't know. Is that where BNY Mellon's Mellon. from, Niblet's? Yeah, Bank of New York is the part of it. And then Mellon would be part of, you know, from Carnegie Mellon, which, you know, I don't know if anybody knows this story, but, you know, Chuck Schwab, the way Chuck Schwab was created was JP Morgan sent Chuck Schwab up to Fuqua, who was, I think, Carnegie's, you know, right-hand man in Carnegie Steel in, in Pittsburgh. You know, it was the, you know, the billion-dollar corporation back in the day, the biggest in history. And he went up and met Fuqua on the golf course, which I think was Central Park at that point, and, you know, pitched a deal, and then they bought it. So he his finder's fee was so huge, he could go start up his own bank. But, you know, there were underground train or that would go uptown. It was like, you know, it was farmland, basically. Um, but that's kind of how they all came together between like New York and Pittsburgh. It was Pittsburgh. Carnegie was making all the steel that built all the U.S. cities. Aha. Uh -huh. Very nice. Shizzy said we should organize a protest outside of the SEC with a bunch of headless cocks. <laughs> Lunchtime. Shizzy so wants us to do that. I, I, I promise, Shizzy, I'm going to check out the AI and see what I get out of it for headless cocks. We'll get something going, hopefully, because uh, I yeah, and then, love that. 
Well, we'll make the legendary. I guess we'll call the legendary. Maybe it'll be Chubb. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. That's very good. For those of you that have missed uh, Monday's episode, uh, I happened to be out and about in Miami and uh, saw these roosters slash cocks for sale and uh, told the story that in uh, Miami, if you live in an area where um, some particular religions are practiced uh, in the Caribbean, Santeria. Yeah. yeah, Santeria, um, that you will find, you will wake up on the weekend in the morning with a headless cock in the intersection near your home. And I happened at one point in my life to live behind a house in my first marriage that had normal rituals on the weekend for Santeria. So we always had a beheaded rooster in the intersection. Um, was your wife like a high priestess? She was not, she was not, or I might be a headless cock. (laughs) (laughs) Or have one, have one. <laughs> oh man. Oh, Shizzy, I need this NFT. It's all I can think about. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> I guess I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to like uh teleport the or telepath the mental image you have going on there, Shizzy. Yeah, it's Shizzy. Sad and disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's see what else I have today. Oh, so uh, uh, Ignis, DeFi Ignis, great guy, follow him, follow his research, really good, does good shit. Um, so MakerDAO just announced Spark Protocol, a competitor to Aave, and he said it's a sharp turn from Maker's old benign strategy of integrating DAI into existing DeFi protocols. Now Maker wants to build its own DeFi ecosystem. Old Maker is dead, long live the new Maker. And then he did a thread explaining it all. But my reply um, to him was, it feels like all of the old school blue chip protocols are now trying to copy Frax and build out an entire infrastructure of products so that they can do everything in one place. Right. But my, my point was that, and he replied back, well, they were already working on their ETH coin prior to that. Um, But my point was they are very slow moving, right? That's why they get to be the blue chip. They have, serious governance barriers to getting anything or massive changes done in the protocol. So they are going to be very slow moving and BizDev for them is going to be very difficult and slow moving. Whereas Frax is a frigging BizDev machine, right? Yeah. So right now, speed to me is is more important in the general DeFi ecosystem than being the old blue chip. Now, that is not to say that, that Maker can't advance dramatically over time and they will be very attractive to TradFi, right? They'll be very attractive to institutional money coming into the space because they are a blue chip. They are stable. They do have a slow governance process, right? So I'm not trying to downplay what MakerDAO can do. And I think they're making the right strategic moves and building an ecosystem around their project. But but the Ronero said... Ronora says BizDev is super underrated in crypto, and I totally agree. And Joe and I talk about this all the time. And the the machine of the biz the number one BizDev machine in all of DeFi right now is Frax. Polygon. Oh, you think Frax or Polygon? Oh, I'm sorry. Polygon is a chain. Uh, I'm sorry. I I should have said more specific protocols. Yeah, those two nobody can touch. 
Nobody can touch those two. And if you look at the scale of Polygon, the size of that operation and what's there, they, that puts them a notch above Frax because they move as fast as Frax does and they are a much larger organization with much more regulatory pressure than Frax has. So uh, I would say, Joe, that I would probably put Polygon number one in all of crypto and Frax number two in all of crypto for, for biz dev. I, I can't think of anybody else that cranks the way they do, man. I just... Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, I love, you know, that's what USDC is trying to copy is Frax's model, Yeah. you know, and it got all shot down. But um, there was something else I was going to say. I saw a clip when I was getting off a flight this morning. I didn't get the research, but that Ave has just issued a stable coin today. Well, it was supposed um, to be coming out. I don't know if it's out yet or not. Is it? Hmm. Let me check. I thought it was in one of those like market news feeds in Telegram where they well, just I knew send it like. it was coming. Um, let me see. Because you were talking about, I saw Ave up on the screen there. I think it's GRO maybe, or what? Well, I can't remember. Yeah, it's gro it is Grow. Here it is. Oh, no, Go. G-H-O is okay. now on, oh, it's on test. Oh, that was three hours ago. It's on Testnet. Okay, on testnet, got it. Girly. So it's not out yet, but coming, I guess, soon. Um, yeah, so I'm wondering how many, you know, how many more stables are coming um, into the space? It's, you know, it's kind of one of the issues that the regulators are really looking at, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I get why I can see now a market for like, you know, all the stables, you know, where it's pairings on stables and capturing yield, or it's the, it's the gate to all these massive protocols uh, or maybe all the yield farms, maybe I'm trying to remember, I haven't been on Ave in a while, but I was always just, you know, staking and borrowing there. I don't remember big yield farms on Ave. Maybe it's changed since, you know, a year ago no, or six months ago. No, okay. no I don't think so. Maybe yeah, they're thinking about pairings, you know, things like yeah. that, like USD was, USDC was. Everybody, like, to your point, everybody's copying Frax. Yeah. Renora says, Web2 companies are typically 30 to 40% salespeople. Um, crypto, it's like 10%. And he says he's, or she, I'm sorry, uh, saying this as a BD in the space. Um, dude, it's like so critical. Absolutely critical. You know mm -hmm. what? That's why I was so excited about Phantom when we were at Quantum. Because yeah. I think that team is gearing the fuck up for full court BD biz dev. Um, and if you watch Juan on Twitter, man, he is so aggressive, like really, mm -hmm. really happy to see what he's doing. Cause he is aggressively leading the marketing over there. Um, and I think that will influence what the BD team is doing over there. So they're all doing a really great job. Everybody's gearing up resources are allocated. So I'm hopeful for them as well. Niblet says, does die need to build out use cases because as a stable USDC slash USDT, <clears throat> might be reaching a tipping point as the de facto stable standard tokens. Um, most likely it does need to build out use cases and have more uses permeate the ecosystem. Um, and certainly I would prefer DAI uh, over USDC and USDT um, as yeah. the de facto standard. But I also don't have a problem with Frax having the standard, but Frax has a lot of dependency, just like everything else in the space on USDC. So, you know, that was talk about a strategic fucking error. It was everybody sucking up to USDC from the beginning uh, of DeFi summer and making it the de facto standard. That to me was just colossal, yeah. colossal fucking lazy ass. That was kind of that lazy ass. Well, it's there and everybody's using it. It's got the liquidity. So I'm going to do it and then I'm going to do it and then I'm going to do it. And then they just built on that momentum and it was impossible to get out from under. And now, now we're kind of fucked if we truly want something more decentralized. So. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is 
Remember all of those at the beginning, you know, there was always questions about what's backing the assets. And yet both of them, USDC and USDT now are 100% backed by, you know, US treasuries or cash deposits. Um, there's not even, there's no commercial paper in there. So they've kind of cleaned up the rack, but the USD, USDC mission as communicated during that period when everybody was signing up to them was getting to that big ecosystem with yield farming and everything else. And, and now they're not going to get, I don't think they're going to get there because, you know, I don't know if this is, I mean, I saw this information in pitch book, but you know, there was a big deal at the end, another big raise at USDC. Um, I want to say with Concord or somebody, it was a, it was a reverse merger into a SPAC with some other element to it. And, you know, I didn't realize, but somebody else I know was advising the Concord side and that deal got shut down. And yeah. I think that was the SEC shot it down completely. Probably. So, see, I think there's a lot of open space for new stables to come into play. And I think the market's looking really good for fracks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So Niblet says, so USDC is like the windows of crypto. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with full spyware. I just read a, a post today about the uh, somebody did a study on um, with Wireshark showing how much telemetry is built into Windows out of the get-go now. Like everything is phoning home, marketing agency, uh, marketing data phoning home. And the second you turn on a Windows machine out of the box wow. today, it's a fucking mess of spyware. Um, Euphoric said, MakerDAO are creating an Aave 4 called Spark. Yeah, man, that was the, that was the originating tweet that we were talking about that uh, Ignis DeFi had written about Spark. Uh, about spark and and that keyed us off tokenized treasury ronora says tokenized treasury securities will go a long way to improve d5 native stables yeah <clears throat> calling usdc C crypto is missing what crypto is yeah totally agree yeah. totally agree absolutely totally agree. so uh uh shizzy uh gave us our segue because i already had this one loaded up because i have a bunch to say about this so yesterday uh, he said, I highly recommend the Bankless podcast from yesterday about Kanto. Was that Cole? I'm not a huge fan of the Bankless guys, but it was really good. Um, so I am going to say that Zach did, at a scale of 10, I give Zach a 5.5 for his appearance yesterday. And that's not Zach's fault. Um, that's because um, he was nervous. You could tell by the way he was spinning around in the chair. And um, he wasn't thinking about the core messaging of Canto when he was speaking. Um, and so I tweeted yesterday and said, Hey, Canto folks, love all the attention we're getting, but uh, we really need to get our messaging together. So I'm actually, uh, I've exchanged some messages with some of the core contributors on the team uh, last night with some of my thoughts on the messaging. But what's what, look, what Zach did well was he countered the bankless boys who were bashing Canto on Twitter and said, I'm a fucking Ethereum OG. I helped build Ethereum. Don't make, you know, don't cast dispersions on fucking Canto uh, until you talk to some people and understand what you're talking about, which was great. And that, that pushed them back on their heels so that when he came on, they had done a little more research. They still didn't understand everything, but, n n but enough that they were friendly instead of trying to attack him because he is an Ethereum OG, right? And so, Zach. The yeah, Zach. Zach is okay. Got it. So the conversation, and I recommend everybody listen to the conversation. The conversation went very well. The boys were positive. They were feeding him, you know, positive points about Canto, what its purpose is. They had nice discussions about uh, contract secured revenue, which is a cool part of Canto. Um, but Zach, 
as much as I like him and he and he's brilliant, Zach's not a messaging guy. He's a developer, right? And so where Zach blew it was he never brought the whole thing together, right? So they're talking, they start the conversation off talking about contract secured revenue. Well, contract secured revenue was just added to the protocol. And contract secured revenue is where if you deploy a smart contract on Canto and you don't charge fees, then you get 20% of the gas fees that your contracts generate, right? So if you agree not to charge the users freeze, if you agree to, to do that, then you get 20%. Well, first of all, he never clarified that it was contracts that don't generate fees. Secondarily, everyone that talks about this talks about this as a subsidy when, you know, technically you could maybe define it as a subsidy, but when you're going to go out and message about something, you should be messaging about what it really is. And what, what this is, is the elimination of rent seeking for the contracts that choose to take CSR because it allows you to not charge fees, but still generate revenue. And here's the beauty of it. It's market-based. So the best contracts, the best tools, the best dApps are going to get the most use, which will get the most gas, which will be, make them the, the wealthiest from a revenue perspective as a contract. So it creates the right incentives to help and protect consumers, users, retail people, whatever, without fees, and to also you know support the ethos of this network. So CSR is an augmentation of the ethos. What he didn't address was when people talk, and this is what the same thing that happened with that stupid Unchained podcast last week, was they didn't understand how the system works. The core ethos of this thing was, let's not charge people for using core functions that are critical to all of DeFi, lending and DEX, right? Core to any financial system. You gotta be able to exchange fucking money. You gotta be able to borrow and lend money. You can't have a financial system without those pieces. So the idea is let's not charge fees for that. Let's make it a critical core, core protocol component. If somebody else wants to compete with those in the network, they can, but we're, our goal is to make it so we're not charging fees and that we're, we're trying to pursue decentralization that way. Zach didn't bring all those pieces together. He didn't make it clear how mm -hmm. CSR ties that in, how lending and the ducks are feeless, and how all of those together support the, the ethos. The other thing he missed is contract secured revenue eliminates the need for projects to, to, to release shitty tokens, right? They don't have to focus on liquidity. They don't have to focus on... Um, um, whether or not they have to boost the price of their token, whether or not investors are going to dump their token, whether or not retail is going to get fucked and their project's going to die, how they're going to maintain the curve properly. They don't have to worry about any of that. That all goes the fuck away. So you don't end up with this endless list of a million tokens on the chain because there's a revenue stream for them, right? So that's another thing. The other thing he completely missed, <laughs> again, that feeds the ethos is when you get the revenue as a developer from the CSR, it goes into an NFT. You don't have to sell the NFT and you have future revenue that's coming into that NFT. You can borrow against that NFT and never even probably have a tax implication. Talk to your tax attorney. I'm not a tax attorney, but re reduce your tax liability potentially depending on the country you're in, because you're borrowing against future revenue that comes into the NFT. So you don't ever have to give up that revenue. You don't ever have to sell it. But there are going to be a lot of things that can be built around these NFTs. The beauty of it is, if you need to hire another person onto your team, you can borrow against the NFT and the revenue stream that you have, 
or the revenue that's already collected in it, and you can hire people. If you want to start a sister project, you can get funding to start the sister project. So all in all, it creates a flywheel effect that feeds each other. And so my whole point with Zach was, we just have to learn how to be more cohesive about about messaging. And I'm yeah. obviously not the head of marketing at Canto. I have no role in the in the core team of any shape or form. But we have people have to learn. This is true of any protocol, any project, any chain. You got to learn cool. to stick to the ethos of the messaging. So yeah, quick, quick. No, I, that's a really good um, synopsis. Three key things. Um, I guess my question would be: when you borrow against the future earnings or future revenue, you know, kind of like the bank equivalent would probably be like factoring or something. Um, do you pay that back or does the payback come from the future revenue? Come from the future revenue. Well, it depends. Okay. People will be able to build it any way they want. So what I expect is that people are going to build protocols that take advantage of those NFTs, right? So yeah. there'll be new protocols that spin up that are earning gas fees, earning their own CSR revenue in an NFT, that they'll be borrowing protocols. Uh, maybe they'll be trading protocols. Maybe they'll be betting protocols. Yeah. But also what's cool is, uh, yeah, a whole bunch of derivative stuff you can do there to lever up things. But at the same time, you know, what I like is that it allows you to like have a a cheap source of, you know, financing, like you said, so you don't have to issue a token. Um, I guess the only dependency then is you are dependent on the Canto token then. So if anything happens to that, it takes down everybody else. But one, one other thing I wanted to ask was that with the share of the gas fees part of the model when um as far as protocols that don't charge the users what constitutes like charging the user is it just transaction fees or percentages yeah it's like when you go to a dex you go to a dex and they charge you 0.051 fee yes that that's gone there's none of that now if you wanted to start a dex on canto that did charge fees because you think you have superior platform superior product whatever you're free to do that there are no nobody's blocking fees on the chain yeah right it's just they are encouraging people to build things that don't cart charge fees because you will get that 20 percent of revenue if you think you can make far more money charging fees because you will get people to use your protocol because your protocol is better than anything else out there more power to you dude it's a market right but you know what's cool too is it almost serves as if you come in and launch your MVP or whatever first version is, and you don't charge fees, you just take parts of the gas fees, it's almost like an incubator model. Because I bet, I mean, I suspect that you could switch to fee charging later if you want. Yeah. Like yeah. once you scale up and have bazillions yeah, of users. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool too. And and finally, because um, I don't know as much about it as you do, and I, um, how, how does like the gas fees compare to say Polygon or it's cheap yeah it's cheap it's pennies you know so canto has to grow a lot in in i mean it is growing a lot but it has to grow a lot more for it that 20 percent to be worth a lot right but you know the beauty of it is if they do against future revenue you may say okay i'll give you a loan against a year of revenue right instead of a month of revenue so but yeah it's 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 like polygon level uh phantom level fees well, you know, what's neat is that, that that NFT part on the future earnings, it has a nice little alchemix feel to it. Sure. You know, in that you're, exactly. you're borrowing against the future, which Auto pay I off. like. And you don't have to go like find yield to pay it off. Yeah. You know, uh, like in that in this payback the loan model, you have to execute on your business 
yeah. and run a good business to pay it off. And yeah. that keeps all the incentives aligned really well. Yeah, and here's the other thing that could happen. 10 projects could get together and say, you know what? We're each going to take 10% of our stream of money that's coming into our NFT, and we're pooling it to get more people to build the tools we need, right? So mm -hmm. we think together collectively, we need a protocol that does X, or we need a protocol that does Y. We're going to invest our each of us our 10% of our, of our revenue stream into this project because we want this project to happen. And then we get 10% back as a revenue stream into our NFT again once they start producing the revenue. I mean, there's all kinds of shit you could do. Yeah. When you said incubator, you made me think of that because th there's all kinds of ways to leverage this revenue to turn it into growing Canto more. And the beauty of it is they could get together and fund marketing or biz dev, right? Outside of mm -hmm. the, the network. Because at the end of the day, the, the alignment of incentive is more people doing more shit on Canto means we all make more money. Right. Yeah. So that's what I love about the model. So, no, it is cool. It's very unique. And I'm really curious to see where they're going to be in, you know, two years, let's say. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could very easily be a billion dollar, you know, valuation, let's say, if, if they execute. Yeah. I mean, look, number five in trading volume right now, um, six or seventh in TVL. No, lo lower than that in TVL. I think it's 13, 14 in TVL, somewhere in there. Uh, mm -hmm. Niblet says, I recently caught a few minutes of a Twitter spaces with Canto the other day. I had to turn it off there for a couple of minutes. Jesus, they need messaging. <laughs> Sean says, the bankless crew are headless cocks. In fact, just cocks. <laughs> hey, we can do like each of them. It could be a character listen, of our headless cocks. Listen, their maximalism bothers the shit out of me. Um, I forget which one it is. Only one of them is a real toxic guy. But um, I, will say, I, I will say this. I got really fed up with them and stopped listening to them because of the maximalism. Everything was slanted. Everything was, you know, just ridiculous. They took that criticism to heart, not mine, but in collectively the community, and they actually uh, toned it down some. Uh, you know, look, I think they're still can be dicks, but they're better. But I don't want to take away, I don't want to take away from the fact that can't, um, Bankless has done a shit ton to onboard people in this space, to train people, to spread yeah. the word about protocols, to talk about the technical issues, to talk and push for decentralization. You know, they are, they have been a, um, a powerful part of the Ethereum community. And I don't want to completely discount it just because they annoy the fuck out of me sometimes. So, you know, I, I want to be fair uh, uh, about kind of, you know, from that perspective. Yeah. So. Well, like, yeah, I mean, look, we all annoy the fuck out of people sometimes, right? I mean, I'm sure you have occasionally. Only I know you, Joe. I have. Only you. Yeah. Only you. <laughs> <laughs> but they're probably trying to outdo the toxic BTC maxis, you know? There you go. So there feel, you go. Yeah, so they feel like they got to go for it. But Well, you right. know, the straw for me was they did an episode a year or so ago when the, the title of the episode was Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Solana, right? I thought, oh. <laughs> They're bringing on Solana experts and I'll get to hear, you know, how Solana functions and how it works. Shit I hadn't taken the time to dive into and, you know, in an hour, hour and a half listening to the podcast while I'm driving around. And instead it was them fucking baiting a bunch of guests that are not Solana experts into bashing Solana. Now, look, I've done plenty of bashing of Solana now that I understand more about what's going on over there, but it was just not, and you know, they don't claim to be journalists, but it just, it was just deceptive. It was just, you know. 
Anyway, it, it felt like politicians. Niblet says, mm -hmm. RUX mistakes are good because it filters our community of people who really want to be here. I guess this is something that somebody at Canto said. That's, that's just stupid. Uh, Shizzy said, give Zach a break, laughing out loud. I really liked the guy. He's a completely likable guy. That's why the overall sentiment around his appearance was positive. He is genuine, likable. He he's meaning he means well. I just want to help them with their messaging. That's all. And and it's not his fault. It's he no one's ever said they've never gotten together because they're not a centralized entity. Nobody's ever gotten together and said, okay, here's our talking points for today. You know, the the the, the president of Canto has declared this is what we will discuss today. So it, people that don't have experience doing this don't know how to bring those messages together. So yeah. Niblet says transaction fees around about 0 0.70 Canto and Canto's at 0 0.6 uh, cents each. Um, Niblet says as a long-term investment, is it better to hold straight Canto and avoid the impermanent loss or LP it with stable note, for example, to yield more Canto to get the IL feeling. So I'll tell you what I'm doing. I can't advise you on what you should do. I am staking canto standalone in the staking on the website and i am uh lping canto and note and then as i get uh award rewards from canto and note staking the lending protocol i and i get uh awards rewards from the staking every other day i pour all of it into canto staking and every other day i divide it in half I do 50% into Canto staking and 50% back in to met to balance out on the impermanent loss on the LP slash lending. So that's, that's what I'm doing. Niblets may not be the smart thing. That's just what I'm doing. My, my goal really sense. is to accumulate more Canto. I want to increase how much I'm getting out of the LP, but I don't want to have massive impermanent loss. So I want to stabilize it as much as I can, but I want to make sure I'm always pushing off more Canto into the staking. So. But you're doing you're doing Canto with note, right? Is that what you said? Canto note. Yeah. So is it note is stable? Yeah, note is a stable. So if that one doesn't move, then I don't know. Is it really going to be? I mean, well, I, there, there's I a permanent it, loss on price, right? I don't think if Canto's pumping or dumping, you know, there'll be a difference in price. And and if people are trying to buy more Canto than note, then yeah, you know, yeah. there's always a chance of that. Yeah, no, because I'm thinking even if like if the price goes way up and you get impermanent a little bit of impermanent loss, that you know should net out if it goes the other way, um, because it's two you know correlated tokens. Correct. So it's probably not as like when we were doing all the stuff before with like you know ETH and something or you know two two Plan B tokens together. You know those can wildly swing in different directions. Yep. Um, but it's almost the same as it seems to me. It's more like just staking Canto, but getting more yield for it. Yeah. So it's a pretty, it's a, it's a good strategy from, I mean, not financial advice, but it sounds like a good strategy to me. Yeah. I mean, Niblet's, my goal with this is not short-term profits, right? This is not yeah. something I'm putting a ton of money into, but I want to stack as much Canto as possible because my goal is look, if this experiment works, and you know this gets to half of what ethereum is i'm a really fucking happy camper right and so if it doesn't it doesn't i'm not out a ton of money so my goal is long term stack, stack as much canto as i can just keep stacking canto so let it Nibble ride says yeah question about long term yeah for me it's how much how much more canto can i get and stake in earn that 21 percent on staking while still um increasing the amount of canto i'm getting on the lp lending that's really the goal. Well, 
That's how everybody really cleaned up on the last cycle. If you got in on a, a protocol that survived and did well and really took a run, and you were in those liquidity pools early on, I mean, a lot of those were like, you know, 600% or something. Those people yeah. cleaned up. I yeah. mean, millions, millions of dollars. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but you know, you, they don't all do that, obviously. So, you, you know, you got to yeah. just try to make some good picks and good bets. And this looks like one to me that is a good bet um, yeah. in the sense of because of who's there, who's building and what they're trying to do. I think it's going to get that same sentiment that you see sort of amongst the BTC guys, you know, the, the ethos element of that. Um, it seems like it kind of translates that into, you know, what we're going to call DeFi in a way that not many others could do. Yep. You know, from the social infrastructure angle or public infrastructure angle. Um, yeah, I mean, I, mean, look, I, 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 I only own a few, so. A, a $10,000 investment in Ethereum at ICO worth $50 million today, right? Yeah. I mean, that's 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 kind of the longer term bet I'm making is, hey, if this goes well, it keeps building, it keeps growing. I like the incentives. I keep helping to promote it. I have an incentive to make sure people know about it. Um, certainly I hold it. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. This is not financial advice. You should do what you think is best. This is a massive experiment. Nobody's done something like this completely before. It could all fail. It could crash and burn. It, you know, anything can happen. But um, yeah. for me, I'm making a longer term bet. You know, I'd like to just keep right. stacking it and see what happens. Well, I remember your very first crypto consulting firm. Wasn't that called like Hodel Consulting or something? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, there you go. Yeah. That's yeah. what you're doing. So, well, look, you know. And, you know, other things I'll sell for short term profit. This, yeah. I just, I want to see where it goes. Smart so, move. I did order a hat. I got a hat coming. I saw that on Twitter. Um, yeah, I was like, I can't remember who was tweeting about it, but it was that looked pretty cool. So, all right, uh, I have a bunch more to cover, Joe, but it's actually let's go last time, and I'm late for a call, so we should probably wrap it up. Let's do it. I messaged good, good. That was quick, man. It feels like it just. I think we ran everybody yeah. off with the Canto talk. Appreciate you guys sticking around. Neblitz, Shizzy, Sean, Ronora, and tell me if I'm saying your name wrong, please. Uh, Euphoric, I think that's Amen. I think that's the whole gang. We appreciate you guys being here. We appreciate you all adding to the conversation. Uh, it feels like family. Uh, we we uh, we love all of you that are listening at home, on the podcast, in your car, watching on YouTube. Thank you so much. If you are listening on the podcast, please take two sec, two seconds, two minutes to go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed so you hear about the latest episodes. Um, please, uh, on YouTube, make sure you uh, rate and review us. It's helpful. Make sure you smash that thumbs up. Joe would like you to smash it. There he goes. And make sure you subscribe and click the little bell so you get alerted about new episodes. We'll be back tomorrow with the one, the only, PubSean. Uh, here to uh, explain to us why we're all going to shit and should sell everything we own. No, I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's right. That. He's uh, he's back on the Guinness tomorrow, right? Is he? What's today? I think is it was... Is that the um, deadline? What is today? The not, oh, it might not be till next week. I can't remember. Okay. But, but yeah, no, maybe that could be our sponsor, Guinness. There you go. <laughs> DeFi at the pub. She's a great go. show, guys. Niblet says, bring on the Canto talk. Love you guys. Uh, everybody right. have a great day. We'll be back with Sean tomorrow. Sean, I got to send you the link. Sorry, buddy. I forgot to send it to you for tomorrow's show. 
I'll do that shortly. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Joe, yep. have a lovely afternoon. You too, buddy. And we'll see everyone tomorrow. Thanks, as always. Bye-bye.